Welcome back, everybody, to the Film Aspect, the show where we explore all aspects of film. We are your hosts, Aaron and Brian. Hello, Brian. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's a nice sunny day. A good day to be sitting in a clammy, clammy wee room recording a podcast. I'd say so. Don't you think it's a good, good day for that? How are you getting on with your, uh, your uh, dissertation <laughs> stuff you nearly done? <laughs> Absolutely not. They opened up the Turnitin this morning and I was like, oh. lol, I've still got a 5,000 word essay <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> two, you know two screenplays <laughs> to edit. Have you have you even like started your dissertation yet? Nah, there's only five thousand um, words. I'll do that, maybe. Mate, that bit took me the like. I I was working in that months in advance. Honestly, mine's like, is I had easy that though. Pretty much done by January. Mine's is easy. Uh, ah, well, uh, <laughs> well, this episode it's been a long time coming, uh, but we're here. Scorsese in the eighties, the most anticipated sequel in the podcasting game. And one we've pushed back more times than we can count, uh, because obviously one of the challenges of this podcast is finding the time to watch films for specific episodes on top of, you know, day jobs, writing gigs, studying and like living a life and all that. Uh, and in typical fashion of me, I, and I don't know what Brian was like, but I watched every one of these five films all in one day yesterday, amounting to about, what, ten and a half hours or <laughs> something. So... I'm a bit fucking deed with Martin Scorsese. Um, how did you go on watching these? I got on fine. I watched uh, <laughs> Raging Bull earlier on in the week. Then after hours, Smart. the night after it, King of Comedy yesterday. Half of Last Temptation last night. The, the other half this morning, <laughs> and then I just finished the Color of Money ten minutes before we started recording. So. Aye, uh, aye, that's literally the thing with this all the time is we'll push this back so many times we'll be like, oh yeah, right, we'll do it in four weeks. That means we've got four weeks to watch these, space out these five movies. And then every time it comes to the <laughs> week, both of us are busy and we're like, man, I'm not watching these movies yet. And yeah. this week was going to be the week I like kind of forced myself. I was like, I'm going to get them all watched. I had it planned out. I was going to watch a movie a night. But then it's like, you know, I've been working quite long hours with like my freelance and stuff. And then it comes to the end of the day, like 10 o'clock, and I'm just like, do I want to watch a movie or do I want to play a game? And every, almost every time I'm just like, I just want to, want to play some games for a bit. Just chill out. Because I always feel like it's such a risk sometimes with movies. See when you get like a two-hour window, you're like, this is, this is my time to relax. What if you pick a shite movie? I know. That's, like, like, that's literally like my fear half the time. It's like, I don't want to waste my two hours. My two hours free of the entire day on, on a shit movie, so... Uh, that was that was me. So today we're going to be talking about the five movies that Martin Scorsese directed across the course of the 1980s. That is Raging Bull, uh, King of Comedy, After Hours, Color of Money, and The Last Temptation of Christ. And uh, we'll we'll rate them later. I'd say yeah at the end. Um, see what our definitive rating is. Uh, before we get started, though, there was one trailer that I bet you haven't watched that I'm going to ask if you've watched anyway, and that was the Conjuring Three: The Devil Made Me Do It. No, nah, haven't watched nah, it. Didn't he? You know, you know that way it actually didn't look as good as like some of the some of the other ones. I don't think, but at the same time, I still got like pretty hyped up for it. I'm 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 down for this franchise. It's literally about the one and only horror franchise. That I'm just like, I can't wait to see that in the cinema. Other times I'm just like, why the fuck would I want to even watch that? Yeah. Because I'm such a scared the cat when it well, comes to horror movies. I remember the, ta- the trailer they released, I think it was last year, or, or even, even maybe even a year and a half ago before the, the, all the delays came in. And it was, mm. it was pretty decent. I don't know if I'm 
too hyped about another Amityville film. I feel as if there's, you know, other things in the genre you could do. Mm. But hey ho. Gotta get that Eden Lorraine Warden action. I think that's her name. Yeah. I, I was like trying to whip it out there and I was just like, wait. <laughs> no, I'm not quite sure. Uh so you just want to start on Big old raging bull, yeah, which is get old Bobby De Niro, um, as a as a boxer, uh, J- Jake Lamotta, a real boxer before I there's a biographical film. It's not just a made up boxer like Rocky, so I prefer Rocky. Just the guy. I see. This movie was <laughs> this movie was not for me. <laughs> I have heard so much. You know, it's always like referred to as. Like, Raging Bull, you need to watch Scorsese's Raging Bull, that's amazing. And at the very beginning, I was just like, I'm not going to like this movie. Because, for one, Jake LaMotta is one of the most insatiable characters you've ever watched in a movie. He is the worst guy ever, right? And before before you, you jump on it, because I know what you'll say, but like, I get that that's supposed to be his character, and obviously it's based on a real person. But I just don't think that makes a good story. Because he's like, scene one, that he's, you know, like, the first time you see him sitting down with his wife, he's like, give me the fucking steak, bro. <laughs> you know, like, fu- like, fucking moaning, and then, like, flips the table and shit, and you're like, well, this guy's an asshole. And then he proceeds to be an asshole, but incre- incrementally more of an asshole as the movie goes on. That I was just like, I don't give a fuck about this guy. I don't want to watch him. And I just, I don't care for it. And... I was genuinely confused throughout almost every scene. Why are these people even I'm knocking my mic? Because I'm getting so <laughs> I'm going all over the place. Yeah, why are these people even bothering to hang about with him? I, if I if I had this guy in my life, I don't give a shit if that guy's my brother or what. I'd be like, this guy's a prick. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm fucking sick of him. I, it was it was the bit as well. No, right, I'll get into specifics. On you go, what was your kind of starting impressions of this? Well, I've seen this before. I watched Raging mm-hmm. Bull a few years ago. And I've heard, a lot of people call this Scorsese's best movie. Like, a, a lot of people do. And I'm in the same boat as you. I did not like it one iota the first time I watched it. And I probably <laughs> liked it even less when I watched it this week. I just, I don't find it an enjoyable film. I think... Mm. Uh, the thing that annoyed me first is like to be a boxing film and I suppose this is coming from my like my lover Rocky the boxing scenes um, aren't very good mm. you know they're, they're, they're very kind of I don't, and I don't know this is probably an artistic choice and I think it's probably to show the kind of the intensity and the sort of barbarism of uh, Jake Lamotta's style of fighting rather than to show the sort of boxing proficiency and I get that he's gone for that but I just don't think it hit the mark and I think it feels like a step back from uh, like Taxi Driver sort of thing I, I, I see if he made this in between sort of you know Boxcar Birth Alice doesn't live here anymore and, and Taxi Driver it would like have been a natural sort of progression but this feels like a step back from where he was gone in the 70s and that's the mm. thing that really and Robert De Niro won an Oscar for this film and I thought he was 
it was one of his most sort of ham-fisted portrayals in his entire filmography. The thing you were saying, like he's talking about bringing steak, bring it over here! <laughs> <laughs> it's like the bit where he goes to the window, he's like, shut up, Lenny, I'm gonna cut that dog of yours! Like, fucking shouting at the window. And I was just like, what? <laughs> Is that... It, I, like, there was just... there was. I'll get into this, but there's so many things that didn't make sense with the character. The number one thing that I hate, like, I thought was missing so much from this i never once got the impression that boxing was like the world to this guy why was he into it you know yeah why you know how you never really saw him trying really hard to be the best he just was the best you know what i mean and 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 you know there wasn't any like fucking training all you see is like you know, Joe Pesci calling him a fat bastard because he's got like the slightest <laughs> little bit of tub in his belly, you know, and he's he's like, they're trying to emphasize it for the movie where he's like, I got my shirt open, I'm eating a like, sandwich, and you're like, that is about all you got in terms of like his commitment or lack thereof to, to boxing. And and like, it just, it just didn't make sense. See, like if you don't make your character, like, I, I didn't understand his goals or anything, right? And you know, I like a horrible character. I love I love it when you just have like an absolute shithead, but like you need to be able to understand why they are the way they are, right? And I think you know, I think there's like probably people that will pick this movie apart and be like, well, you know, the upbringing of you know nineteen fucking t- canteens, New York, <laughs> you know, like they, you know, them guys. That's how they. That's how they were, and like the way it was with his boxing. I'm like, but the movie didn't show that for me, and. Like I was saying, horrible characters can be really good. I mean, you think of something like fucking Lou Bloom from Nightcrawler. He is a right weirdo who's like, does the worst things, but you understand why he's doing it, therefore you like watching him. Same with like Walter White or Michael Corleone or even, what's his name from Taxi Driver? Uh, oh, Travis. Travis you know, like you kind of get why they're doing everything that they're doing. And, and like that is all you need to get behind someone in a movie to be able to understand why they're doing and I just I don't like these kind of movies that um that they're just like well this guy was like one of the worst of the worst so that's going to be a little, like Bronson that was the thing I didn't like about Bronson I just yeah. kind of like this guy's horrible why, why do I want to watch him Does he, he's not got like one redeemable quality about him um and and I just that's that's exactly what I was thinking when it came to Jake Lamotta because it's like he's just a big idiot yeah <laughs> I think that, that, like goes uh, off his head. This this happens in a couple of Scorsese's films where he sort of relies on the audience having a personal connection to the characters. Like Bronson, Charles Bronson was already you know very famous mm. in Britain for his sort of escapades in, in in prison. And a lot of people in this film came out will still have fresh memories of Jake Lamotta or at least no stories of him. Now mm. watching it in you know twenty twenty one, had I not seen. Raging Bull before, what's the chances I've heard of or, or ever seen a Jake Lamotta fight? So it's, it's, <laughs> it, it might as well be a fictitious character and to have none of that sort of emotional kind of connection with the, the, the personal character and his background and, and knowing about it, I'm, I'm the same as you, I'm like, what's the point in any of this? This guy's just an mm. arsehole, just leave him. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and what really didn't make sense to me as well as the movie went on is how he just all of a sudden became like a fucking stand-up comic. And again, like he's on in this bar and he's doing like a bit of, you know, like having some jokes or whatever. 
and I get like if that's what the guy done, that's what the guy done, right? Yeah. You know, but fucking explain it, because to me, when I'm watching him, I was like, this guy's not a people person. That was his whole issue when he was younger, is he wasn't willing to shake hands and do favors and all that, right? Whereas like Joe Pesci was the complete opposite of that. He would sit and talk to all the guys and whatever, yeah, little cliques or whatever it was that they were there was going on there. But like all of a sudden, he's just like, ah, he is a people person, and he's just like. You know, he's having jokes and he's still a bit of a prick, but he's like, you know, yeah. people come up to him and he'll talk to them and have a laugh and all this. It just, that didn't make sense to me. I think that what may, they might have been kind of alluding to him being an arsehole was tied so much into him as a boxer and he couldn't leave mm. his boxing persona in the ring and he had to carry it out into his own life. So when he finally yeah. retired, he was able to kind of grow. But that's just looking back on it. None, none of this is sort of yeah, alluded exactly. to in that's, the film. Mm. That's that's because I've you've seen... Now, and I suppose it might have been the case back then, but it's it's more widely accepted that fighters calm down considerably once they retire in the sort of mm. modern age. Guys like Mike Tyson and um, those those UFC champions like Michael Bisping who would be in your face and ready to go, but now that they've retired, they're calm and relaxed and you know, they're friendly and mm. they have a laugh and they go on podcasts and stuff, but again, that's not mm. something that was necessarily known or shown. He didn't, he didn't have any fun elements of his personality while he was boxing he didn't even seem to enjoy that he didn't seem to enjoy anything mm. so it was it's a i think it was a bit of a stretch to go from being hard-headed and not laughing and not enjoying anything to being a kind of loosey-goosey have a drink stand-up comedian sort of thing like you were saying i, I agree with you on almost all points i mm. uh what did you what did you um think of the editing because this like um this is this was the first time that scorsese uh, collaborated with with Thelma Schoonmaker Schoonmaker maker <laughs> I, literally like as I was looking at it you know like, I knew I was going to be talking about this I was like yeah. I need to get down how you say her name again because like I've literally this name has haunted me since I was in university where they were like you know you're into editing Thelma Schoonmaker or Schoon- fucking Schoonmaker I'm going for that Shh. <laughs> 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 right on you go tell, tell what did you think of the editing I think the editing's pretty decent I think it's there's there's a nice collaboration between the way Scorsese gets his grips with his cameraman to move the camera I think he gives editors a lot to work with because I noticed this and I love this about filmmakers is when he he almost always opts to track in rather than zoom so you physically mm. crane the camera and move the camera and that mm. gives you so much more to work with as an editor so he kind of he gives them this big massive sort of a huge palette of shots to work with which will make an editor's job easier I and mean, you've got someone with an eye like Thelma Schoonmaker I'm going to go with Schoonmaker uh, I just looked up there apparently it's Schoonmaker Schoonmaker so it doesn't sound right I'm not sure when... I just looked up a pronunciation that was like Schoonmaker alright fuck <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good maker. It's when, good maker. When you Let's give her a, a palette like that, it's it's going to be easy work. But when you when you put mm. it in, put such a wide variety of shots into the hands of someone who has a, like a, a a great eye for editing, you get mm. fantastic editing. And she won an Oscar for this. I'd say probably deservedly so. I didn't look up what it was up against, but I think yeah, it's very think, well edited. Yeah, I think I think that is the case. Uh, because these like this is something that I think we'd kind of spoken about before. Was like they didn't really feel like films his his old stuff you know what i mean like i was always very aware like someone's making this movie these are actors blah 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 but like i don't think i ever had that about this movie because like um yeah it just it just feels more cohesive between like 
what he was wanting as a style with like with his story as well and it did like although i just didn't really enjoy anything about it it did like kind of flow well enough and never i never really get confused about like you know going between fights and you know they have montage sequences and all this kind of stuff like that i i, I really i really enjoy so i think like yeah the the I can appreciate the fact that this was when Scorsese upped his game to be like, right, now he's a big boy filmmaker. And I think that was the case with this movie. Um so yeah, the 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 editing was kinda was pretty good. But like I get I get tired. I get really tired of these kind of movies, like the corruptible individual kind of bit, you know, like watch this guy's descent, you know. I'm I'll probably like contradict myself another thing because there'll be movies that I do like about, with stuff like that but I think you know it's, it's just it's a big issue to have someone that's like more morally reprehensible who then only gets worse yeah and and and, and there's just like I think even if you had it where it seemed a little bit more always oh, a bit nice you know like he started out with humble intentions but that's what I'm saying like that's a Scorsese film that I get kind of bored of like Wolf of Wall Street you know Guy who comes out, he's got some good intentions, and then the industry, the sport, whatever, corrupts and they kind of take the pressure, blah, blah, blah. Like, I just think that is a bit of a tired bit, but then it's a bit hard to also judge it on that when it's like, maybe this was one of the best first, can I, yeah. you know, one of the early examples of those kind of movies. Obviously, I'm talking about it with a 2021 frame of mind where I've seen that a gazillion times. So, yeah, I just, I just kind of, I, I kind of struggled with that. What? Did did you think why did why did he lose at the end? Like why did he just give up at the end? Eh, and the guy to beat him. I don't know. Cause yeah, I just well the problem with that I was like all right, well he's beaten, he's getting that's how he's done. But like I just I, I just wasn't invested enough to care, and you know that way I was thinking like maybe it's like too much for him, you know the pressure of all this has just become too much. Yeah. But then I was like, I, I just, I just never really got the impre- that impression. It, it was kind of like, you know, put this guy somewhere and he'll fight. You know, he didn't want to do anything with the other stuff, but it's just like, yeah, had all this kind of rage built up inside him, and it's like, chuck him in a ring, he's gonna demolish whoever walks in with him, right? And that was that was all I got from it. I just didn't, you just never got the sense of why you liked it, if he did, why he was good, why you know, yeah, it's just like you know, if you're gonna go to this guy. He's the best. No, you, 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 like he'll, you'll beat him easy. It, it wasn't even like there was any tension about whether he would win or lose any of the fights. You know? Yeah. It's just like, well, this guy's coming up, and you, 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 you'll demolish him, and then he does. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if it's supposed to be. Uh, see, I because I don't know much about the film, and I suppose that's you're supposed to take each and every film as your own interpretation. But I think it was. Pro- I don't know if it's supposed to be like a an analysis on Jake LaMotta's rage itself in a boxing mm. backdrop so it, like it doesn't matter what the setting would have been it would have been his you know inability to deal with his inner demons and, and his aggression mm. and stuff like that so I think I don't know I've heard people talk about it in that light where it's just it's a, it's a movie about rage and with a boxing backdrop but again I don't really feel connected to it in that way either I, I feel mm. like there's a lot of I, I think I don't know, because it's held in such high regard, I definitely feel like it's a film of its time. I don't think it's one of Scorsese's, you know, immortal pieces. 
But nah, in, nah. in 1980, when, you know, this, I just feel like it's a lot of, there's a lot of emphasis and praise on Robert De Niro acting and the amount of work he put into the acting because it's very clearly Robert De Niro acting in a role rather than yeah. becoming Travis Bickle sort of thing. And that's, I don't mm. like it when I can see someone acting in a role. That really takes me out of it. Mm. But because I, I think a lot of the sit down scenes with him and Vicky, is it? His wife. I think yeah. a lot of them were blocked and a lot of them were like performed as if they were on a stage and I just felt as if it was that sort of hammy overacting they were playing to the back of the room where it's a film and it needs to be a bit more um what's the word I can't think of the word <laughs> it needs to be smaller it needs to be it's lost me it needs to be smaller it can't be playing to the back of the room uh, the words on the tip of my tongue as well. Oh, I'm fuming. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Uh, anyway, aye, it's, it's just it's this this. I think it's too much overacting. Mm. Yeah, it, it it did kind of feel like that. You know, uh, De Niro doing the the bit. You know, like you can imagine him and like, hey man, I'm walking here. <laughs> you know, like that stuff, like just pure rough, rough New York type, and I just ugh, boring. Anyway, uh, I'm giving this a a big film aspect. Um, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just hitting it with that. I don't, yeah. don't give a shit. I think I would have liked this more if it was in color. Not gonna lie. I did kind of think that. I did kind of think that. Sometimes I think that. I think movies that go in black and white. Sometimes I think you need to be. You need to be like really visually appealing, to do black and yeah. white cinematography well, uh, and that was. That I, I don't think it really had that in this, so I was always you are kind of like craving that like, you know, I was like spice things up a wee bit, you know. So I just died. I wasn't I wasn't a big big fan on that. Uh, so moving on to King of Comedy. Aye. Is Aye. That, that, I was yeah. try, I was fucking I'm trying to think of the word that I mean. It's really annoying me. I'll, I'm sure I'll just bust it with like three films times. <laughs> uh so um King of Comedy was like uh, two years later, I think. Yeah. And you have uh Robert Robert? Rupert Pupkin <laughs> is his name. <laughs> Robert De Niro again. So he's a he's a he's a stand up comedian, a wannabe stand up comedian who develops a bit of a fascination with this uh late night talk show host. And uh this I liked way better. Like I, I actually kind of enjoy. I did enjoy this movie in comparison to to Raging Bull, and I think the thing that I immediately loved about it is just that it was De Niro, and I think I said this about like one of the previous films with like the seventies stuff. But it was like De Niro acting like I'd never seen him before, because he's so like kind of wacky and, and and like funny and he's like overconfident and like this is what you say as well when you go like this guy isn't actually a nice guy or whatever but like I like him because I understand what he wants and why you know why he wants it and all this kind of stuff even though he ends up going on to do some kind of horrible things yeah um so yeah I really I really enjoyed him in this movie what do you think of him uh <clears throat> excuse me I effing I love this film. Genuinely love oh. this film. Uh, I think I'm gonna drop a bomb here. I think this is Robert De Niro's best performance in his entire career. Uh nice. because I think he 
throws himself completely into the role and it, and it, it crosses that barrier where he's no longer acting see like he did in Taxi Driver mm-hmm. he's now he's now you know Rupert Pupkin that's who he is and he's just because it's so a left field for what De Niro was known for he's always known for the kind of yeah. same hard man act and then he just comes eyes like this kind of awkward kind of nervous but overconfident guy and he's, he's it, you, feel, you just really feel sorry for him I know. quite a lot of the movie and that's just not something you're used to feeling for Robert De Niro I don't think no and I, I absolutely and I think that is I cannot um De Niro's performance is held in such high regard by me and I think it's so perfect because of how Jerry Lewis plays Jerry Langford. He plays him so kind of like stoic and cold and straight, which is absolutely not what Jerry Lewis was known for because he's a, he's mm. an incredible physical comedian and comedian and just his, his scenes with De Niro in this are just, so I think they're amazing. They're so good because it's such a contrast in who they are. Because you always mm. get De Niro supposed to be the cool, calm guy. Obviously, flips it. But I just I love this film altogether. Um, see, see, like it's. I, I think the best you were saying. I think you were saying when you messaged me, you feel if he was speaking, you're uncomfortable. You said everything's so awkward, but I can't remember what you said. But it was along those lines. Mm. And that is the entire film. Every time De Niro's on screen and he gets close to like, Jerry, it's like, I it makes you squirm. Uh, <laughs> I think the best one of that is when he's, he's, I can't remember the name of his girlfriend or the girl he's dating, but when they go to Jerry's like summer house. Oh, man. <laughs> that is a, that is a perfect scene because you can tell Jerry Lewis or Jerry Langford in this, he's just, it's just like, get out my house. But he holds it all together so perfectly. I think the the contrast in between those two guys, those two, Jerry Lewis should have won an Oscar for this. I'm just saying it. Sorry, but he should have. This <laughs> these, these two together were tremendous in this movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I I just I love that. Like, it was like almost every scene you were just like, please just leave, or like from the very from the very very beginning when the guy he's getting the car with him when he gives him the hanky and he says he'll call him. He's just like he's walking up the steps and he just keeps going, Jerry, uh, and like calling him back. And you're like. Stop! Just walk it. Like it could, like you know that way where like it almost played out pretty well the first time. Yeah. And you're like, cool. If you just say whatever, and he goes, that's you. But then it's like he just kept calling him, kept calling him, kept calling him. I know. Like, ah, oh, mate, you're ruining this. And that that was the thing that that I felt so bad about. It's just the fact that he's just like, I'm. He so passionately wants to do this one thing. He just he, nothing. It's crossing the line for him, you know? And I just, I love that. I love stuff like that. That's exactly why, like I was saying with, with Nightcrawler. It's like he wants to be the best uh, Nightcrawler, you know, like the guy that gets all the footage of the worst crashes and murders and that. He wants to be the best and he does anything to get that. And it, like, I just, I love stories like that. And um, the, this guy, it, it just, it was, it was a lot more colourful. Obviously, it is in colour, but like, it is a lot more colourful of a movie, especially with uh, I've forgotten her name. He's uh the other one that's obsessed. Oh, um Masha. Masha? Is it Masha? Masha? Sandra Bernhard. That's her name, I think. Oh, on IMDB, let's... that is who it is. And it is what would you say? Marsha? Masha M A S H A. Masha. Masha. But like when the two of them, when they finally kidnap him, and it's like they're wearing, you know, like the he's like get the the suit jacket with the Hawaiian shirt on and the sunglasses <laughs> and the hat, and I was like, this looks like 
for me, I, I know very little about King of Comedy, right? And for me, I was like, this is playing out like a pretty iconic scene. Like, they, see right there? That's a fucking, uh, a, a dual Halloween outfit, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, I, I was just, I was, I was really loving that. And she also was really good. They just, yeah. Making you feel so uncomfortable, but almost in like a different, like a, a more manic way. We are just like, you never really thought that, you know, like when, when Rupert eventually gets like the gun and stuff. I, I was never really convinced that he was going to shoot, but it was like her. I was like, you've given the gun to her. Like, why would you do that? She, she's the, the, the wild card in this scenario yeah. in my mind, you know, because like he had the smarts at least to play it off with like a bit of swat, you know, like when, when she gets in the car at the beginning of the movie, she's just flipping out. She's like kicking and screaming and all this. Whereas like he's good at where he like, you know, he assessed the situation and then just done it like a, a favor, like, right, everybody get back. You're stressing the guy out and then snuck into the car. Yeah. You know? And I like that contrast between the between the two of them. It is it is like very, very joker, right? And I now <laughs> having watched Taxi Driver and this, I now fully see the yeah. comparison to the to the movies. I am I'm very, very curious to see how I feel about Joker now that if I go back to it because as you know, I like fucking loved Joker when it first came out. I hadn't seen Taxi Driver or this, and I was just like, five star movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then obviously, then I started hearing the comparisons to these movies, and I was just like, I don't know. But so I might go back and I might watch Joker soon. Yeah, just to just to see how I feel now that I've seen like kind of the inspiration for these movies. Although I, I can see when you say the amalgam of both of those movies, I don't think King of Comedy on its own is like. I don't know if I would call it like a ripoff of King of Comedy, if you know. Yeah. Like I think there there are differences enough between the two. You know, it's not like uh well I suppose like there are Aye, right, there are similarities, <laughs> right? But just I, I think they're different enough to, to be classed as two different movies. But yeah. um Aye, uh I don't know I, if I, 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 I definitely say I definitely say it was inspiration. I don't know if it was a an, uh, a rip-off so to say I don't think he wanted to follow the same sort of story beats but it was, there was definite yeah. inspiration which is fine because everything gets inspired by everything to different yeah, levels exactly. so mm-hmm. I, I don't mind I didn't care about the comparison the comparisons to these movies don't change my opinion of Joker whatsoever every, every movie yeah like well I, I, I don't know I feel like because to me it was just kind of like a story or whatever like I hadn't really s- seen in a way and then yeah. obviously the thing with, with Joker though I think in comparison is that it has like a very it's the tone of that movie is so tense like that's the whole it's like a building tension yeah i don't i don't i can't really remember so much about taxi driver anymore but like this movie isn't really like a building tension you're just kind of like oh he's going he's going and he's doing that now oh like he's doing this now yeah it didn't end in the way you know like when joker had like the final scene in the, the television show that was like really fucking stressful for me when i first went to see that in the cinema and I kind of thought they were going to do some of the things, right? So you know how in Joker, there's the, the bit where he goes, oh, check this. Uh, it's Robert De Niro, and he's like, oh, check this Joker out. And it's like him doing his comedy act, but it's terrible, and they're all laughing at him. Aye. He doesn't quite understand. I thought they were going to do that, but when he goes, oh, Jerry, take a look at my pride and joy, and he gave him the card, Aye. I kind of thought there was going to be a bit where he's watching his show, and he does the joke with the card, and be like, fucking stole my <laughs> material. Um, but um, what I actually really like to top it off as well is the fact that it was actually pretty good at the end. 
Aye. In comparison, like he actually done really well. Aye. For the... <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was a nice twist because like the whole time you're just kind of assuming that he's gonna be really bad because you never really hear him do the jokes and and, and like you, he's doing the awkward demo reel and all this kind of stuff. And then just at the end, it's like actually a five minute segment where I was like, I was actually laughing, <laughs> watching it. Yeah. Uh, but um, do, do you think that the ending stuff happened? Nah. Nah. Uh, I, I like, I was going to, I like how it's, it's sort of ambiguous as to whether or not it's real life, but it, I would have liked it better had they cut it sooner because they keep on saying like, I know Rupert Popkin or something or whatever the line is, and they say it like five times as they're sort of slowly zooming in towards it, and I'm like, well, this is not real life. See, if they would have said it once, and then just mm. cut it, I'd have been like, oh, was it, was that real? But because it was so prolonged, I'm like, nah, that's obviously, you know, fake. You see, you don't think, I, you don't think any of that nah. happened at the end nah. of the movie? I, I, I don't, I, I would, yeah, I would like, to, I don't think it did as well. I, I was actually thinking though, I was like, I would have really liked if it was actually because it would be like this weird thing of like it doesn't matter. You know, I really liked his his um, you know, the idea that he came to at the end because you're thinking you're like why is he so cool like like he knows that he's gonna go to jail for yeah. this. But then it was like at the end where he was like I'd rather be a king for a night than than uh, a loser for forever or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a nice twist as well when it came when it came to like because it you, you kind of. It was almost like the whole time you're thinking, does he really understand like the situations that he's putting himself in or why he's being inappropriate and all this kind of stuff? But then, um, obviously, it's like you get to the end, you're like, actually, he he was actually probably smarter than you would give him credit for. Yeah. Although, saying that, if the ending isn't real, <laughs> maybe he's not smart because he's in fucking jail. Yeah. But, <laughs> so, um... Film, film respect are you getting yeah I think the the only thing that I took away from this is and f- f- the reason why it's so successful or so highly regarded by me and it, because this was a box office failure this was like the, the box office bomb of the year in 1982 oh, really? yeah uh, so I think he considered giving up film after this um, or mm-hmm. something along those lines but it's because I don't think it feels like a Scorsese film and that's why mm. it probably bombed because there's no, there's none of the the camera movements, there's none of the this the, um, the whip pans or the the tracks in. Scorsese lets this film, well, uh, uh, in his camera movements, he lets it breathe and he lets De Niro and Jerry Lewis and uh, Sandra Bernard, I think I said her name was, he lets them do all the action. He lets the people on screen go through it almost like a stage play, but in a film, and he doesn't need to rely on these fancy edits or, or or quick camera movements and it just it lets the scenes breathe and I think that adds to the tension and the awkwardness because when Rupert Pumpkin when he first goes to like Jerry's office and he won't leave the reception and he's like I'd like to talk to Jerry and it goes on for so long you're like right this scene's finished now surely and then it isn't he I just think just letting that breathe and letting that go is just I I, I think this is like an, an underrated gem in, in Scorsese's filmography I really do Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, but it's, it's, it's all downhill from here, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, maybe you know. Um, so next up, we had After Hours, which is like a guy 
meets a woman after work on like the weekend probably I assume but then he's like he's trying to get his hole so like he goes over to see her but then it ends up in this mad wacky night where it's like after hours things are different different kind of people are out and all this and very it's very very different yeah from, like anything I've seen Scorsese do it's kind of funny but also weirdly depressing you know what I mean like I don't, I don't, I didn't quite get what they were going for with it. I was like, am I supposed to be laughing at this stuff? And then, like, one minute it's like, oh no, this girl's killed herself. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, like, I just, I just didn't really get it, to be honest. And then, and then when it, like, eventually when you got to the end, I was just kind of like, okay, I suppose, like, I just happened to that guy, whatever. But, um, what do, what do you think of this one? Ah. Uh- hated this film until <laughs> it was like 40 minutes in and then something flipped and I ended up really liking this film. I don't know why. I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's because it's it's of a genre. It's, it's sort of a dark comedy and it's sort of a very 80s yeah. film. Um, yeah. Where it's, it's... I like it because it's another film. I say this is the most of a Scorsese film that doesn't really exist in the real world. This is too sort of fantastical to exist in yeah. the real world. None of these characters have any real repercussions. It's just it's it's, it's just a, like a silly piece of cinema that isn't in the real world. And I like that and I miss that about movies because you you, you know, oh, I'm watching this kind of weird, kind of not funny, dark comedy, goofy <laughs> movie. But mm-hmm. with none of these, I'm never going to meet any of these characters in real life sort of thing mm-hmm. and this is the first time I think we've seen that from um, Scorsese because you can't really relate to any of them no, but it's well, just yeah. a show on screen and I, I, really, I, 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 I doubt you'll ever seen it but um, John G. Avildon made a film with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi it was called Neighbours and it's about this kind of like out in the out in the suburbs a kind of straight laced guy and then these two wacky people move in next door and then like the electrical currents overhead make them change moods and it's just such a weird, not really funny, dark comedy that's really kind of goofy. And it's in the same vein as that. That is very much, After Hours, After Hours is very much a 1980s film. I don't think you'll find this sort of film in any other decade. It's yeah. definitely a piece of its time, a film of its time. Yeah, it, it did, it did, unlike, uh, I think King of Comedy or Rage and Bull, you could probably place in like, different time, and you'd just be like, well, this is something maybe kind of slightly harking back to these times, but it didn't feel like something that was set by it's it's the time that it came out but this did like everything about it like some points of the cinematography that the, i think even like the set design and the the music and all that you know it kind of it almost reminded me of uh, little shop of horrors where it was like all the streets felt fake you yeah. know what i mean <laughs> where it was like if you pushed the building it would just flap yeah. back and it's a bit of cardboard like it, it kind of felt like that to me and i was just like it was it was supposed to, like there was a point in my head where i was like you know, I thought it was going to be like Kiki and 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 I've forgotten her name, but the 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 person that he he goes to meet in the beginning, I thought it was like it's going to be this weird thing with the three of them, and I was like, well, she's done the onto the next character, and they're done the onto the next character. It just like kept going like that, so I was, I I don't know, and, and the whole time as well, like I, obviously I'm not, I'm not sure on like the logistics of distance or whatever <laughs> in new york but i'd be like mate just fucking walk home because <laughs> the whole day was like i'm just trying to get home and then like the, the subway's 150 now yeah and then this is that and it 
really pissed me off when he's like, I'm going to go and get the keys for Kevin McAllister's dad. And he's like, I'm going to take the keys and then I'm going to come right back. And then he sees those guys stealing the paper mache thing and he goes to their house first. Yeah. I was like, I'd take that with me to the to the barkeep. And then, and I was just like that when I was like, he's going to forget about those fucking keys. <laughs> and then it's like he does. And then I was just like, oh man. It was just... It, <laughs> I I didn't I didn't nah, like this movie. <laughs> I, I think I think I watched this at the exact right time. See, because of all the stuff I've been moaning about with movies that have been mm. released over the past few years, I thought this was a fantastic, like just film for escapism. Um, it was. I thought it was just an enjoyable experience, but there was a couple of proper proper Scorsese moment. See when he first walks into the bar that Kevin McAllister's dad has and it uh-huh. sort of tracks along the bar and comes up. I'm like, mate, that is a good fairly shot right there. That's classic Marty. So <laughs> I, I feel that this is it kind of I feel like Scorsese was having fun with this film as it did it as like the all bets were off. Um and it just it just sort of threw himself into having fun. But I was one of the things that I noticed was I don't think this feels entirely like an american movie i think there's a lot of influence from his sort of um like italian and french foreign language movies that he obviously he loves italian cinema i think that's one of his biggest influences and i feel from some of the films i've watched for that time period from the 60s and 70s it almost feels like that style of humor or that style of filmmaking that he's Mm. it's always been present in scorsese films but he sort of ramped it up in a comedic tone with this film and I, uh-huh. I do, I do really enjoy it. Um, I, I, but the thing I don't enjoy about it is I feel it. It's a sort of mishmash of everything. It doesn't know what he wants to do because it almost feels like an art house film in some points. And yeah. I feel like this film, had it been released today, is something that would have been nominated for best picture. I genuinely do. <laughs> That's I don't know <laughs> uh, uh, because it's so out there because it's trying to be funny in like not funny ways, and it's almost like a everybody's got a secret as to what the joke is, but they're not telling you. Uh, That's what I kind of feel this film is. The, the, just the problem with the setting them was just kind of like, I don't know, it it wasn't like a, and I suppose this is part of the point, but like it wasn't a place you wanted to be. Yeah. So I was, I, I, it almost felt like kind of icky, you know, like, oh, right. like, oh these fucking weird, weirdos <laughs> that live in this place, man, like, one of my notes is, I want to go to that club. That club looked amazing. Everybody's got a mohawk and um, chain link fence and stuff. I've written down here in capital letters that this is my New York. This is the city I want to be in. See New York in the 70s and 80s when it just looks grimy and shitey. <laughs> like, send me back mate, there right now. Uh, you, mate, I fit right in with a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> the, the fucking New York nightcrawlers. Exactly. Scuttling about in the alleys. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, yeah, the the weird thing, like I thought, compared to some of his other films, is like I think you can tell why he's telling like the stories that he's telling throughout these movies. But for this, for me, obviously going into it completely, I'd never even heard of this movie. I knew nothing. I I didn't look up anything. Uh, well, I was before I was watching it, and and you know that way where like it's kind of like, well, why is he making this? Like, what's the point? Did he just want to like fucking let his hair down and? make a make a comedy you know and i think that's probably just it but yeah i don't know like it's cause like i'm going in with the preconceived notion of like who scorsese is so then i'm watching this film and i'm like this isn't scorsese like what (laughs) what is this like some shitty comedy it's 
I, I thought I was going. I actually did think I was going to like it when it first started. And I was just kind of like, ah, oh, I kind of like what they're going for with this. But then I just the music. I hated. I hated the music, and I I, I don't know. It was just obviously it's supposed to be wacky, so the guy's just making random choices. Or whatever. Yeah. But like, uh, it, it it was a fact for me as well. It's like when he get trapped in the paper mache thing, and then get taken away. I was like, it's just. Is he just going with it now? Like he doesn't. He's just like I'm done. I'm just going to get taken away and sold as a paper mache model. I was thinking, how fucking strong are Cheech and Chong? I know, just like <laughs> back him up. like he's nothing. Didn't even didn't even say this feels heavy. Just I, saw, I was wait. I was waiting for that the whole time. Like, oh man, this one's like saying how it's like oh it's just good quality or something yeah. like that. Plus, is everybody fucking paper mache in this place? I know. The fuck's going on? Like she just had the kit sitting ready to go. <laughs> Do you but know what I, the thing? Uh, there was one thing that completely took me out of it before the film started, and I, th- I think I'm correct in saying this because I've seen it a number of times. The theme song at the beginning was the theme that Fraser made when Fraser got commissioned to make a theme song for his own show, and he had the entire orchestra in, and it said uh, like on our show, on our show, <laughs> and then he has like a fucking <laughs> Niles is a narrator saying all these things that he's gonna do, and that is the theme, that is the song that Fraser bases his theme song off of, and then Kenny's like, nah, we don't need it. So it's, it's, I don't know if you if you're a big Fraser fan, I love the man. Nah, but, never uh, watched. This. What yeah. Fraser's hilarious. Is that like a sitcom? Yeah. Ah, uh, no, nah, I've never seen it. Never seen... F- oh, man. Nah, never seen Seinfeld either. Seinfeld's hilarious. Se- Seinfeld's uh, probably the best, but Fraser's up uh, there. What, what, one of my mates, she loves Seinfeld. She goes on about it all the time. But compares it, setting a chain with that, probably Curb Your Enthusiasm. I've watched one season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I quite like that. Uh, same guy who wrote it, to be fair. Larry David uh, wrote Seinfeld uh, as well. Or um, co-wrote it, or created it. Whatever. Well, I, I like the... I like the more awkward style of humour rather than like sitcoms make me cringe like really really hard the only time I'll find a sitcom funny is when like another show is kind of like emulating the style for comedy like yeah. Always Sunny does a Seinfeld I think it's Seinfeld anyway they do like what's supposed to be a Seinfeld episode that's just like highlights how stupid and unnatural everything is that they do in those <laughs> shows so I kind of I, I kind of like that but anyway I after hours the film aspect for me fucking hated it no I found respect for me I liked it I liked it so, uh, Colour the Money, get the coolest guy in town, Paul Newman, with his fucking slick-looking shades. Mate, um, that's it, that's all I, you need to say. That's it. Um, I would say the first half of this movie, I was, like, fully on board. I loved it, it was like, you know, this guy, he was just like, you know, when he was chatting, he was kind of flirting with, with, the, with the woman, and then it was like, he just got that, that kids got a sledgehammer of a of a break yeah and it was like every time he done something he was just like getting pulled away and he was like wait what's going on and you can see it's like this guy's really into this stuff and he sees an opportunity and i liked that and i liked how oh well just to to say what it's about for anyone that doesn't know paul newman tom cruise paul newman's like a an expert in what like is he a pool expert yeah it's a sequel from the hustler so, he's fast eddie felstein for the hustler so this is what would I had to have seen the hustlers, but well, I've never seen the hustler. Well, it makes it makes a lot more sense if you've seen the hustler, but I don't think you necessarily need to. Well, you know, now I think <laughs> there are the things that make more sense because there was a bit, particularly towards the end, when he says something, and I was just going like, "All right, bud." <laughs> well, that makes sense. I didn't fucking know. So, uh, Paul Newman sitting in a pub sees uh, Tom Cruise. 
absolutely slaying this guy at pool and he's like that guy's got the the knack you know and uh decides that he's going to take him across different towns in america on their way to a tournament a pool tournament where they're going to hustle people out of money in pool places (laughs) (laughs) uh, i thought it was a pretty cool like idea um uh and Cruz and Newman were pretty good together, quite interesting together. But I also would like I was saying, like the first half, it was setting up a lot of things that I was really into, like you know the dynamic of like the um the girlfriend and Tom Cruise and and then Paul Newman, like you know she's smarter than like Tom Cruise is like the idiot, yeah, and he does, but he's the one with the skill, and she's smarter, but she's trying to control him a wee bit, and then he's the one overseeing it all, and I like that stuff. And I just felt like it didn't really fully realise the idea. It didn't really come to fruition in a way. That when it got to the end, I was actually like a little, almost confused as to like, what was happening probably would make more sense if I fucking knew it was a sequel. <laughs> uh, which just literally just found out there. Um, yeah, because then when it was like, every time Paul Newman stormed away in a huff, I was like, what are you in a huffer? <laughs> or like, when... Uh, it, it it was it was a bit at the end, right? When he's like pure rage. Obviously, I kind of got the fact that he was like he's he, you know he was relieved that he managed to beat him. Yeah. But then when Tom Cruise came through and he was like, "Actually, I let you in." Aye. I was like, "Oh, that's a wee bit." You know, the guys take a bit of an ego hit. But then it was when he went through to the green room and he just goes, "I'm back," and then like freeze frame. I was like, "You need a back." You were set sad for about two fucking minutes. So, uh. I, I I don't know. Nice little uh. Young Forrest Whitaker in there as well. Yeah. Um, that was quite cool. Uh but it was it was kind of funny seeing Tom Cruise as like the, the kind of old archetype that he used to be, you know, like the energetic young yeah. guy. Yeah. That was kind of cool. I, I I've not really seen any of Tom Cruise's old movies, to be honest. Um, other than maybe like Jerry Maguire, but that's about old that's like ninety something, surely. Yeah, I think it's nineties. I th- this mm. Top Gun cocktails are in about this time. Tom Cruise is phenomenal in the 80s, by the way. We should do Tom Cruise in the 80s next. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, I, I, I fucking love this film. Genuinely. Right. Just most of it is because of my love for Paul Newman. This was the film that got him Best Actor at the Oscars. Um, right. He won his Oscar for this. And I just, because it was, it was like 20 odd years, 25 years, I think, after The Hustler came out that this was released so it was like a long long time and I just I, I think he's fucking tremendous in this film Um, I love I've got to say I love a Marty voiceover see when he the opening where he's talking about Pooh and the Rose I was like yes here we go Scorsese this is the kind of it's clicking like, your fingers look. walking down the street let's go <laughs> like luck is a skill in its own yep. he says or something like that <laughs> I think this is also Scorsese said that he feels like he was a hired gun in this film but I think there's a lot of Scorsese-isms in it he fucking loves them a whip pan when they're playing pool and I said I was like yes Scorsese Marty I'm here for it and he I'll- Starts throwing his camera around again, and I'm I'm a big fan. What were you gonna say? Sorry, I, I liked some of the the editing of like the the pool montage, but especially there was a particular shot that I really liked with the sound design, where it was like the set thing, but it was just like balls getting fucking hit everywhere, yeah. and like multiple games at once, and it's just like making all the clacks of the sound. And I was like, I, I really like those bits, and I think it it managed to keep it like frenetic enough with the actual pool, you know? Yeah, where where like. I was enjoying it enough because that is the thing with sports movies. If you, if you might call, you might call pool a sport. I mean, it is. <laughs> aye, aye, I know. 
but like you know you need to keep it make that interesting enough as well and when it's literally guys hitting balls with sticks on a table it's like probably gonna be kind of hard but i think they go for this pretty cool like slick style with it where you know obviously with like paul newman as well it's just like i don't know just really tom cruise is doing this wee smirk the whole movie driving me mad (laughs) that's thing where he's like you know, kind of like pursing his, his mouth, like yeah. really fully letting himself smile. It's like he's trying to no smile, but then he was smiling. Um, so that that was a quite, uh, a quite like that. I can't believe I never knew it's a sequel. Cheers for telling me, Brian. Sorry. Although, the, what would that, what would that, what would that have done? Watched another movie in, yeah. the, in the one day. <laughs> well, the the hustler is far superior to this, and I'm and that's me saying that I like the color of money, but the hustler is just so much better. Um, just because that's like classic 1960s, you know, cool as fuck, young Paul Newman, you know, no, no, nobody comes close to that. And I think what I like about this film the most, especially watching the last ones, I know After Hours was really wacky and, you know, kind of comedies, sort of wacky as well and not really sort of kind of like fantastical and Raging Bull is just completely out of my element. This is the first time in the 80s where you could walk down the street and bump into any one of these characters. This is a real world film and it's the first proper real world film I think that you can look at and have a connection to since, you know, look at the characters and maybe Taxi Driver. I think it's been that long but it is, he now he's, it's, it's not a documentary, but it has that sort of real-world grit. And I think mm. this is also another underrated gem, uh, just not in terms of film quality, but in terms of Scorsese as a director, because this is now a perfect blend of his sort of technical proficiency as a director with his, his camera crew moving the camera about, and the sort of the character drivenness of the of the of the performers and of the of the story it's very character driven but it's also very technically proficient i think it merges really well in the color of money even though it kind of just falls by the wayside in his wider discography Mm. i just for me i feel that's what's happening here and the next this is you know obviously it makes a film in between this but this the the natural progression from this to go right i'm scorsese i'm making a gangster flick again Goodfellas. I can see Goodfellas from this film, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Aye. Yeah, I get you. Mm-hmm. Aye, like it has that kind of flair to it, I think. Yeah. Uh, like whereas, cause I, I almost feel like the, the previous one, with the previous decade was like trying to find out how to be just a director, you know, like film, like make a movie, yeah. make a cohesive movie. And then I think this decade is more like finding out who Martin Scorsese is. Yeah. Um, Which is, I think, pretty cool but because yeah, yeah i just test the waters with more genre in this in this decade yeah, than it does uh-huh. else. And, the, and the eye like, exactly this is who is marty scorsese and then he just hits 1990 and fucking takes off like a rocket <laughs> Je- that's just that's just that's not even an opinion that is what he did um i so i i, I don't know i don't know if i'd go for a film aspect of this aspect. <laughs> i'm not i'm not really sure to be honest because like i really like the setup i just thought by the end i was kind of uh, shrugging was, my shoulders at it 
See, because uh, you, you've I've seen where you know Eddie's came from and and the hustler. See, by the time it got to the end, and I was like, finally, he's that. that I thought it was heartbreaking. See, when Tom Cruise walked in with that envelope and says, "Here's your car right. ticket," I was like, oh no, no, I, no. Well, that that was <laughs> that was pretty like that was actually pretty sad. I thought um, I didn't. So, so then that was why like he he had his whole thing where he's like, I'm actually not any good, and that's why he forfeited out of the game. Yeah, aye, aye. So like. I suppose, like, I did, I know, I'll give it a film respect, I didn't, I didn't hate it, I just, it just, I thought when I started it, I was like, I'm really going to like this movie, Yeah. and I just, I didn't, and I think a lot of that could be down to that, because I love, I've said it all the time, but, like, I love it when they take a character and then, like, put it <laughs> 20 years later, yeah. so that probably would have been the case for that, that was, that's, like, a cool thing to know about, about that guy, so... Um, yeah. but no, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna watch The Hustler and Color Money again. So you should, you should. Uh, the Hustler's like, I don't know, eight point something on IMDb. It's, it's a very, very good film. It's not that long. It's like an hour and a half. It's the same as Color of Money. Um, I'd highly yeah, recommend you watch. Event Liar. Emma. <laughs> it's, it's it's two hours fourteen. The Hustler is it? Well, it feels like an hour and a half. Yeah, <laughs> Hustle's amazing. Um. I will, I, one of my last I have to I just have to say it again I think Paul Newman is amazing in this I also think Tom Cruise is fantastic in this as well I just mm. think their their conversations their interactions are tremendous I think it mm. probably would have been I know they had to include her and it kind of makes sense in the story but I would have liked to have seen it just as Paul Newman and Tom Cruise because I, I don't know if it's just me reading too much into it but there was a very clear passing of the torch when he gives him his pull cue and I'm like, right, uh, Paul Newman's like, right, you're sort of, it's an on-screen, you're the new superstar, take this and go and be what it is you're going to be. And it's one of the few instances of a passing of the torch where the, the, the torch passee almost certainly kind of like succeeded or superseded what Paul Newman ever done in film. Because Tom Cruise is arguably, you know, the biggest movie star that there's ever been. Certainly one of them. Oh, right, and, yeah, yeah. and he just fucking, from that moment, I always feel it was like a, Maybe that's just me as a fan, reading too much into it again. That's me, you know, Paul Newman giving him his seal of approval with the, the pool cue, and I'm like, yes, let's go. And again, when obviously Scorsese hit the 90s and took off, after, you know, 86, 88, Tom Cruise fucking took off as well. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of things happening in this film individually that doesn't really affect the movie, but what's taken away from the film, I feel, I feel this is Scorsese realising that because I, I I think they had said this was the first film that he came in under schedule and under budget and this oh, is right. this is I, I I feel like this was him getting back on his feet I really do even though he says it's, he feels like he was a hired gun I just I, mm-hmm. I've got a lot of time for the colour of money and, and everybody involved <laughs> we've still got fucking one mail to go Jesus one mail to go the last <laughs> temptation of Christ uh <laughs> Jake, the last temptation of Christ. I fucking hated it. I absolutely hated it. Every single second of it. You know, when this movie started, right, and it does the whole like Bible scripture, and then it says this isn't a retelling of the events; it's an exploration of like, you know, whatever it was. The themes are like God is uh, or Jesus is a man, and all this. I was like, fuck yes, I'm here for this right you know because i often wonder see when you get like another movie that's the narration the the sorry the narration fuck's sake the nativity right yeah and you're like why are we telling this story again 
no one ever does anything different. No one ever, like, it's always just the same thing with new actors and some fancier cameras, you know? That's all you ever get. Like, I, I just, I, that's why I get so bored, like, whenever, like, you know, somebody goes, oh, the nativity's on, this year's, it's like fucking, this year's BBC The Nativity, almost like they just make them every, annually, you Aye. know? So when I thought about that, and it was like, the whole idea is like, Jesus being a guy who speaks to God, but God speaks to him vaguely, and he doesn't actually really know what he's supposed to do, I was like, that's a fucking amazing idea for a movie. I really, honestly, like, I was... Because, again, I didn't know anything about this. So then when it started and it was all that, I was like, that's cool. So, like, I almost thought at the beginning as well, it was like, so he's, is he hearing voices and he doesn't actually know, like, who's speaking to him or, like, entirely that it's God whenever someone does, which obviously does play into the movie a little bit. So I was, like, really, really there for it. Then the next two hours happened and I was like, this is dog shit. Because it's just... Because <laughs> it was like it was it was saying it had its moments, you know, when he's like, "What's happening?" I don't, you know, I don't know who to believe in, what to do, blah blah. blah. And I kind of liked the bits where it was like him in the desert with the the, the circle, yeah. Uh, and it was like the lion came up and the snakes and then the the flames and all that. I liked that stuff. And then, but then it was just all the other stuff, you know, like when you had a moment with him being a. Uh, yeah, what was it? You know, like the Last Supper, where it's like, this here bread, this is my body. Munch, 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 munch. This here is my blood. Sip, 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 sip. Yeah. I was just like, why are we watching this play out again? It's so fucking slow as well. Like you're saying, it's not a retelling of the story, but it's doing all the narrative beats of it as well. So that that bit um really pissed me off. But then in a, a in a major turn of events. I fucking loved the last 45 minutes of this movie. Like, severely. actually really enjoyed it. Because then it was all, you know, like, when it comes to the crucifixion, and it's kind of like, I need to do this, but I don't know if I want, like, I'm not, he's, like, scared to do it. He doesn't have the confidence, he doesn't actually believe that what he's doing is what he's supposed to do. It's just, it's just like, oh, I've got to do it, because, like, this is the way, of the, the way of God or whatever. And then to, like, when, they all from the, like, you've suffered enough and then he lives on as a man, right? And I was just like, that's fucking cool. I, I was, like, really liking it. I don't, like, I'm not super clued up in the Bible, so maybe these are things that are, like, in there, but I was just, like, really enjoying the idea of that, of, like, Jesus, if he didn't, he's, like, he actually lived on, and I always kind of got it that it was, like, him being transported into another body, you know? So it's, like, he did die, his body died on, on the cross, but he was, like, living on in a different body as, the, you know, this guy, and he had this angel, and it was just a bit, when fucking Harvey Keitel walks in, they're like, you get respect for this guy. He's like, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's very <laughs> nationality appropriate accent. Uh, when he was like, he's like, no, like you, you said you needed to die the cross and then you didn't, you were a coward, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, but the God sent a guardian angel. And he was like, no, this isn't a guardian angel. That is like, a demon or the devil and I was like what I was like honestly I was sitting up, I was just like fuck it's the fucking it's the devil he's been tricked he said he said he was gonna come back and he fucking did in the formula we girl and he's been fucking duped and I, I like honestly I, I don't know why it just fucking blew me away I was like that's mate that's amazing and then when he crawls up and he's just like you know he begs him for forgiveness and he ends up back on the cross again and I was like now he under you know, now he gets it. Now he knows why he's dying. Now he knows like 
he's behind it. He gets it. He's, he, what's happening and all this. And I just, I was like, see for something that gets, it, it becomes incredibly bored with, with those kind of stories, with like religious stories in film. It, it just, it done enough at the end for me that it actually got me excited. And I think that is part of the reason why I liked it so much towards the end. But it literally, to do something where like I get goosebumps or whatever at a story that I should technically know a million times over because you're doing it for the, you know, fucking primary one in school. <laughs> I just, I, I just yeah. love that. I really, I really like that. <laughs> so. No, I, 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 like, looking into this film, uh, as I do, there was like serious budgetary constraints and I think that shows, I, I, right. I think, what I feel as if they were, he was going for with this, it was, it was clearly inspired by like a Cecil B. DeVille epic, you know, mm. like the Ten Commandments, but mm. they wanted to mash it with Scott, the, the sort of violence of Scorsese's 70s movies, because there are, there are flashes of both, and I feel mm. if this film had been made in the late 50s or early 60s, they would have thrown everything at it. But see when he's, at the very beginning, when he's carrying the cross through the streets, uh-huh. It's very evident that while it's supposed to be a mob, there's like 30 folk there and they're just <laughs> shooting the same people from different angles. And yeah. that sort of thing took me away from it. I'm like, this is small scale. Even when they try to kind of beef it up as the story goes on, I'm like, this is still pretty small scale for what I'm supposed to know about this. And I think what, what I did like about it, I'll, I'll talk about positive points first. I think Willem Dafoe became that interpretation of the character of who he was supposed to be. I don't I I did mm. not see much of him acting, which is a good thing. I'm not trying to say that as like uh, detrimental. I think Willem Dafoe was fantastic. I just didn't like the character. I thought Jesus mm. was an asshole the entire way through. There was nothing <laughs> redeeming about him. He was cocky, mm. he was arrogant, he was like, this mm. is my way and, and and I'll use violence to get it. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if that's, you know, really what was supposed to go down <laughs> that sort of took me out of it a wee bit whereas everybody else was just reading lines Harvey Keitel was god awful in this film I'm sorry but oh, he was mate. honestly why, why, why was he in that it, it, it was just like when know. he came up and I was like here's a classic case of Scorsese casting these pals you uh, know? and then I heard as well that was like I was looking up some trivia on it and it was like yeah originally he offered it to Robert De Niro uh, you fucking imagine <laughs> Robert De Niro <laughs> As Christ on the cross. <laughs> oh. That would have been fucking hilarious. No. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know, like, I think, um, I think I, a lot of the stuff I, that, the, the thing, obviously it's supposed to be the teachings of Christ and his story and all that, but I, mm. I feel as if my main gripe with it was everything he says and all the lines that are delivered, not all the stuff, are, are kind of, they rely upon your knowledge of what's already came before. They rely mm. on you knowing these stories, you knowing what Jesus has said, and you knowing, you know, um, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword, and, and all that other kind of turning water into wine. It's not supposed to be, oh my God, he can do what? It's supposed to be, ah, there's that sort of thing. And I just, it's, 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 just feeding you information rather than telling you a story and that is what I felt for the most yeah, of this film uh-huh. and I think Scorsese struggles with this because I don't know I think he's I, I know I'm feeling certainly he's Catholic but I don't know how religious he is and I, I, it mm. might be very but I think he struggles 
with films like this and Silence because he doesn't know how to separate his faith from his him as a filmmaker and they, they merge and they sort of don't cancel each other out but they're detrimental towards each other because he wants to be see if he would let himself be the, the guy who made uh, Colour of Money Taxi Driver Raging Bull see if he would let himself be that guy while telling a religious story this film would have been so much better but I think he respects the subject material too much to let Martin Scorsese director go all out and I think well, that's like, detrimental I, to the I, film oh oh yeah like all the kind of flair that was orig- that was there in the style of Colour of Money is gone yeah here, I think I think it is it's shot pretty plainly and and I was very aware of the fact there's like just some dudes sitting around a fire, like you know, yeah. <laughs> like that was it for a lot of the movies. So I found I found it very boring in that way, especially with the delivery. You know the way that he he's supposed to be very kind of monotone and uh, you know quite subdued a lot of the movie. I I found I found that a little weird, but um, I just I just found it very like a very interesting idea of a like. Of a way to explore the story of Christ, but in a form in a format that isn't typically done. Just kind of in the same way that the Passion of the Christ kind of revitalized it for me in that way, where it was like this really brutal depiction of the sacrifice. You know, yeah. Like I think I kind of think that's what you need if you're see if you're doing a religious story like this. I think you need to to approach it in a way that isn't you know scared to do things that aren't necessarily yeah. conventional because like that's why like a lot of these films are just like oh you know uh it's mary and joseph and she she wasn't like she was a virgin and and knew that the fucking that's that, the place that, like Bethlehem <laughs> or whatever you know like yeah. it's doing all these things and it, it like no one is ever confident enough to take any kind of risks when they're making these kind of stories because it's just like this is how it happened yeah and this is this, this is a, it's kind of like if disney were to make a narrative uh, a nativity you know not too violent, yeah. not too controversial, but that's what I kind of liked about this because it wasn't going like Jesus is just this guy that knows his shit and he he's going to talk, <laughs> but you know he just knows what he wants, to, what he believes in, he knows what his message is. But it was like bits where a, a crowd are gathered and they'll go, "What if I say the wrong thing?" And like he talks about you know try to take thing with love and all this, and then everyone misunderstands him and yeah. runs off. Um, I I really liked that. It was kind of like the pressure, like someone where he's just like, I I don't really know what to do, but like I'm this guy. You know, like the, the like he says at the end, he's like he didn't want to be the son of God. Yeah, that that stuff just I I just really I thought that was really interesting. I can see why this movie was probably quite controversial, especially when he was like take up the axe. I don't like I said I'm not clued up, so may, maybe Jesus <laughs> done that in the in the Bible or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know, but like I can it's still like banned in countries. <laughs> this movie, I think so. that's the sort of I think it was. Willem Dafoe, even though I think he was fantastic for what they were trying to do, f- to have such a, to be playing such a sort of famous figure, for lack of a better term, and to <laughs> somebody who's, who's life, ledge. whose life has, is known, and in, in the stories yeah. of his life are known by billions of people around the world, and he's portrayed in a certain way and has been for, you know, millennia, to all of a sudden mm-hmm. come in and be more arrogant than confident and and mm. what he's saying it was the arrogance that kind of struck me the wrong way because i'm like well and i get this is obviously it's fictional and you're you're telling this story and, and this is your interpretation of it but so much of history so much of the way this character's being interpreted has always been about calmness and peace and you know um standing up for what you believe in but in a sort of 
in a righteous way rather than an arrogant way and that just struck me that like Willem Dafoe is fantastic for I think it's a, an incredible piece of acting I really really do but the character the way they made the character speak and the way they made the character act just it just really took me out of the story mm. I just I think I think I kind of view it in the same way like you know like if you have different interpretations of like Batman you yeah. know Zack Snyder his version is dark and kills people you know yeah and previous versions didn't I, I, I kind of see it as that it's like some guys coming to this and been like you know what what if Jesus didn't have the confidence for this what if he went down the wrong ways and just decided that violence was the way mate I, I kind of like I have yeah but... I can't wait to get banned because you compared Jesus to Batman <laughs> Can't wait for them to come for us in those comments. Hi, <laughs> Jesus, he's kind of like Batman, you know? It's just a cinematic comparable that I thought, you know? It's just the first one. But, like, <laughs> I should have said man, uh, Superman, because he is literally, like, exactly. supposed to be, like, Jesus in, the, in those movies. But, um, no, like, I, I think it's just someone else's interpretation of the character. And I, I, I like it when people take things in new directions like what if you take this guy that's really nice in this one but actually he's a dick in this one like how does that change the dynamics of the story surrounding him i think that's i think that's pretty cool obviously i'm saying that like i i just really enjoyed the the last bit yeah the rest of the movie was incredibly dull for me and i think it just it it, it like kept i think it's just because i can appreciate that that what they were going for i kind of think like if they were to make this now it it would be like a far better movie I don't know. I I, mm. I think it was something to do with like a lot of the production, like you're saying. Like you can tell, it's just like bunch of dudes like hanging about at this set, you know. <laughs> I, I I think I think that is kind of one of the biggest biggest problems. With it. I also love the fact that it's like the cast, all of the other like all of the other people with like like ethnic appropriateness, and then you just have everyone else <laughs> just guys from New York. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like like fucking. <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton comes in. Hi. <laughs> as what fucking Paul? Yeah, but <laughs> so like, and I uh, just Harvey Ke- Keitel was Judas is fucking hilarious. A little bit, a little stroke of genius. Yeah, <laughs> but like, I, I I love him. Not really. I thought I thought he was actually pretty terrible, but I liked his delivery in that last bit. Whereas I was like, who, who this guy? Hi. <laughs> well. I don't know. So, end of the know. day, I got to say, it's a film respect for me. It won me over in the end. So, nah, it's a film aspect for me. I just, I, the, the, <laughs> I just, I kind of get over the wedding. And then uh, the guy's like, oh, we weren't expecting this many people. We've run out of wine. And then Jesus is like, check those jugs. He's like, they're water. He's like, are they? <laughs> I don't think that's how it played. <laughs> It's almost like a, fa- like a family guy skit. <laughs> it's go- like that when we go, I rode into town on an ass, your mama's ass. <laughs> and he goes like back to kinda- obnoxiously eating his grapes, like pure sucking them. It's like, cheers, jugs, by the way. So, the. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's a film aspect for me. I think I, I think I said that, but I'll say it again. Oh, man. I'm fucking sweating now. Um, cool. Well, I, I no, I think it's a film <laughs> respect for me. So, do you have uh, uh for, for well, let's go for a rating first, five to one. All right, okay. Uh, I, would they just like our so my number five is Raging Bull. 
My number five is The Last Temptation of Christ. Number four, After Hours. Number four, Raging Bull. Number three, The Color of Money. Number three, After Hours. <laughs> number two, The Last Temptation of Christ. Number two, The Color of Money. And then number one, The King of Comedy. Yep, same. Hey, we agree on something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had Raging so, Bull as my last one until halfway through this podcast. And then I was like, can we? Nah, I'll change it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think I see more of Scorsese, the Scorsese that I know here toward, like, towards some of the, the end, like Color of Money and then even Raging Bill. Um, but, uh, but like, it was nice to, to remind me of like the range that he has because he'll do like a, a boxing drama, then a comedic thriller, would you yeah. call it? Uh, King of comedy, then like a, a, a an alternative dark comedy, then a hustling sports movie again, and then like an alternative take on Jesus. That's a varied portfolio portfolio you got right there. You yeah. Know? Uh, so you 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 can really like commend the guy for trying to kind of explore these different avenues, and like you're saying, it's like now he knows how to make a movie. How's he going to make a Scorsese movie? And I think that's what he's discovering here and in, in this uh, this decade. And like sadly, I couldn't get him bored with like most of these movies um but i'd probably never watch any of them again um no maybe maybe temptation of christ i'm not i'm not gonna lie i think i would i would possibly like see if i like looked up a little bit more about like because i I always had a feeling that they were referencing to stuff like you were saying and i was like bet that's a bible story right there you know (laughs) (laughs) so like i i wanted i wanted to see it also just to comment on the last temptation of christ it really had me been like where the fuck is the resurrection from mel gibson i fucking want that movie and they said they were making it like yeah. ages ago like when hacksaw ridge came out they said they were making uh the the resurrection of christ i want to see that movie so i, I, I that was that's true i imdb have did this very incredibly annoying thing will have taken away the upcoming projects um because they used to have well, a lot more well, like a wee section for upcoming, but he's he's just he's oh man, he's directing a remake of the Wild Bunch, which I am one hundred percent on board for. Um, it was supposed to be doing a a Viking film for years after Apocalypto, and then it just never came to fruition. Uh, it uh-huh. did Hacksaw Ridge, but I don't know. I don't it's know. It, like, well, apparently, like it still is like happening, but. It's just no one knows what's happening yet with it. Like when it would come out. Yeah. Um. Nah, I'm just. Nah, it doesn't really seem like. Passion of the Christ really is such a fucking good film, though. That is. I think that it's is tremendous. That's that is like a visceral movie. That's a hard one to watch. Cause it's just it's just so fucking violent. <laughs> I think that's that's why it was so successful though, because people. When they talk about like biblical stories, they don't realise how much of how barbaric those times were. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, that's I was literally saying that to to Amelia when I was watching the Last Temptation of Christ. I was like, "What sick bastard came up with the idea? I've got an idea. Let's whip the fuck out of some guy, put a, a crown of thorns on him, make him carry the cre- the this cross that we're then going to hammer him to <laughs> and leave him hanging there." That's a fucking great way of execution. Like, who thought of that? It's insane. I know. There was two ways they would crucify them as well. If if you if they only nailed their hands to the cross, they would die faster. 
because all the blood would like come out through the bottom of them and, and, and pull at the bottom or something. But if they hand nailed their feet to the cross as well, it took longer to die because they were the way it was evenly distributed. So fucked I, up I people. It was something to do with like uh like suffocating as well yeah. because of the way that they twisted the body. Mate, it's horrific. Aye. But um <laughs> so, so, yeah. here's our take crucifixion <laughs> bad don't do it watch um, us get flamed in the comments for that <laughs> you know well crucifixion it really does have its place <laughs> and um so yeah I, I'd, I'd say like i was I, I enjoyed i'm glad i've watched them it means i'm experienced means it's another thing i can check off the list if you know what i mean but like it it, it just it missed the mark so much for me just because i was kind of like didn't really get behind characters or story or the style uh and then for some of them i really did and some of them i really didn't and i think that really shows that he was tr- trying to kind of figure out what kind of movies he wanted to make which maybe one day we'll talk about who bloody knows when we get <laughs> onto the <laughs> maybe the 90s stuff yeah. but um i love about what about you was checking out overall impressions of this decade i think raging bull and last temptation of christ are the only movies i wouldn't watch again the rest of them definitely mm. would definitely was kind of comedy i, I think that's it's, oh, mate that's my i'd say it's my top five scorsese movies um I, i'll need to do like a full-on ranking when we finally get yeah to the, i love me some time, t- Paul <laughs> by Newman. the time we get to them we'll be on to, we'll be on to like scorsese <laughs> in the 30s <laughs> <laughs> I, after I was a watch again, just so I can look, just so I know what I'm going into this time, and maybe I'll enjoy it more. Bye. Wait, had you never seen it before? I'd never seen After I Was before. Uh, I'd never seen any of these movies before. I no, fuck um, Raging Bull and The Last Temptation of Christ. Fuck them mm, both. Pretty yeah. hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, before we go, you've been watching anything else? I watched uh, the new version of The Witches starring Anne Hathaway last week. It's uh, right. pretty rubbish. It's not good. I'd, I'd assume the, the original one's so much better. The original one's a classic, and this one's pretty, mm. pretty bad. That's it. As about as, as expected. I uh, besides watching a shit ton of Scorsese films, I watched it. It's basically like my monthly quota, my my fucking two month quota for movie watching. Just five <laughs> in the one day. Um, I watched uh, Love and Monsters, which was added to Netflix this week, which I've been kind of looking forward to for a while. Just a kind of quirky comedy where it's like this guy who's a bit of a fierty and he gets split up from his girlfriend when the apocalypse strikes which is like a bunch of big monsters uh and then he goes you know what i'm sick of being stuck in my bunker with these guys i'm gonna travel across 85 miles of monster infested territory to get to my 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 girlfriend and it was pretty it was like it's never gonna attach you too hard it was just pretty funny it had some good visuals the, the the visual effects of like the the designs of the monsters were pretty cool because it's all like there was <coughs> the kind of set up as there's a an asteroid falling down so humans blow it up but then the radiation comes down once they've blown up the asteroid and it turns all of like the just like snails or like snakes or whatever you know like frogs and shit like into giant monsters so whenever you're seeing the monster you can like i know what kind of creature that used to be you know so that that was kind of cool um and but yeah like when it ended you know when you're just like it was fun. Never watch it again. Well, it's maybe rewatchable, but I kind of liked it. Um, and I that was all I watched other than the Scorsese films, obviously. Um, nice. So, yeah. Uh, next week, what are we talking about? We're gonna actually be talking about we're ha- fucking everything happened at the same time. 
So next week we're going to be talking about Mortal Kombat and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which should be finishing today, the day that this comes out. Um, you buzzing for the? You watched any I've of? I've watched you two watch? episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and they were both pish. So hopefully it uh, lifts it. I lifts think that, up. I think it will go in directions that you like for now. I don't know obviously what it will be for the final episode, but I think doing things that I'm somewhat interested in it'll be it'll be good to talk about. Um, yeah, uh, if you go over to our Twitter at the film aspect, we we post uh, polls and updates and stuff like that on the show. You'll get notification whenever our new episodes come out, which is every Tuesday and Friday. Uh, last week we done a recast of Kill Bill. And then on this Tuesday, we're going to be talking about the Oscars, which is like this Sunday. We'll be talking about the the winners and stuff like that. Just having a wee short discussion about those lot. And then next week, Mortal Kombat and yeah, actually Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But aye, if you go to Twitter as well, we've got a wee poll going about who you think are going to win from the Oscar race. So let us know and then we'll have a wee discussion to see if that marries up with yeah. who actually won in the end. We should have a poll uh, for how long my rant will last. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and if you don't I'll not tell you what it is and if you don't meet that you're kicked off the podcast it's like nah you're Uh, not good enough for the people they said 25 (laughs) minutes and you gave it 22 that's true well if I need to make up time I could just go on about how great a girl would get nominated in uh, Martin McDonough didn't he for three billboards (laughs) still bitter about that Uh, if anybody wants to have a discussion with that let me know <laughs> right, but thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.